Hello and welcome into Coach's Corner. The date is July 18th. It is a nice, beautiful Monday. And I am here to welcome you into episode 6 of Coach's Corner. Got a pretty full little show here for us today. A couple interesting stories over the weekend, some interesting quotes. We'll pick out a certain derby that might be happening here soon. And... That's right, the MLB draft is happening tonight. Got the picks going on as I'm recording, so we'll get some like some live reactions. Although I don't know these players, I'm not going to even claim like I've been watching breaking down high school baseball film. But I'll be letting you know the players that have been selected, some of the ones that I've noticed, some of those ones that I've read up on. And there are some notable guys. I think you might recognize the name Kumar Rocker. But that's for later. We'll see if he gets picked. We'll see where he gets picked. And let's go. And I welcome you into this episode of Coach's Corner. It is a Monday, and live from Athens is your host, Lucas Kochevar, here. And we have a big golf tournament that concluded over the weekend. We only get a few, you know, notable tournaments that kind of keep us going, paying attention to golf. And the Open was one of those tournaments. Cam Smith, Cameron Smith manages to have the best final round anyone has ever seen burst onto the scene a little little while ago a little bit earlier in the year last year and it was kind of waiting in the wings to kind of see if he'd make that jump to go win a major and sure enough he does it here at the open catches up to Roy McElroy who was by all accounts, leading very easily, you know, I won't say very easily, but he was leading all weekend, was playing great golf, but, you know, a couple stumbles along the road here in the last round. Cameron Smith, like I said, had an unbelievable round. He's the first golfer, I believe, in 20 years to birdie five holes straight on the back nine. An absolute insane number for him to come out strong that back nine and just you know turn on the jets to really catch up and he finds himself winning this major a big one for his career could really you know put him up there in the upper echelon of golfers now that have kind of you know burst their way onto the scene ever since a lot of notable guys have made their way over to live a lot of these younger, young, up-and-coming guys, you know, starting to kind of make their names known for them, and Cameron Smith is one of those guys, and he will not be leaving anytime soon. Cameron Young came in second. He had a really good last round. Like I said, Rory ends up third. A couple guys kind of fell off. Hovland, Victor Hovland, did not do fantastic. He ooh, very much struggled on that back round. But a very big, notable guy 
to go and get their big tournament win. This could be the start of a lot of victories for Cameron Smith. So shout out to him. Very, very impressive stuff. You know, seeing a young golfer kind of start their career and, you know, kind of get that first notch on their belt, you can just feel like he's going to have a couple more. And I have a feeling Cameron Smith will be a familiar name that many people hear throughout the next couple of years. And so that was a big, big story that happened this past weekend. We got a couple smaller stories to get to here. And before we like head into our big MLB back half of the show, because it is, will be a, you know, a lot of stuff is happening there in that world. Orlando Brown Jr. left tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, originally played for the Ravens, but last offseason was traded to the Chiefs from the Ravens as they were rehauling, like, you know, revamping the entire offensive line there in Kansas City. And Orlando Brown had a fantastic year, kind of showed why he was worthy of the multiple first-round picks that he got traded for. And he turned down an extension this weekend from Kansas City, and he's going to end up playing on the franchise tag. And if you're Patrick Mahomes, you ought to be a little bit concerned that your team didn't offer enough for Orlando Brown when that seems to be like the main, you know, core that you need to have now that you are starting to like kind of move on from players that have been there, like Tyron Matthew, traded Tyree Kill this offseason. You know, you find you find yourself spending all this money on the f- offensive line, and now you can't pay one of the key members. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a very optimal thing if I'm the Kansas State Chiefs. You know, it's it's slightly concerning because you're now in a division with, you know, Max Crosby on the Raiders, Chandler Jones on the Raiders, Bradley Chubb on the Broncos. You have Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa on the Chargers. You play those guys a total of six times a year. You know, along with anyone else in the league who will have a notable pass rusher, I'm sure you'll face because all the good teams really do have one. You don't want to let a, a young guy who's really going to be entering the prime of his career, you don't want to let that guy go. And it feels like they kind of have to keep this. They have to keep Orlando Brown happy here in order to really have some success, have some continuity on that line because I think continuity is by far, in a way, the biggest you know component of an offensive line. And I don't have like a lot of numbers around me to back that up, but the one I do have is from my own team, the 2016 Atlanta Falcons. I think they were the only team that season to have the like. The five starters play every single snap together. The Atlanta Falcons held up together and they ended up being, you know, I won't say they were one of the best offensive lines ever, but watching them, they were very, they were very locked in together. You could tell that unit was very strong and it's not the Falcons offensive line. We know now that line was really you know, lockstep with each other. Everyone kind of knew their role. They knew the plays, callouts, everything. That that offensive line was a big part of why that offense was so proficient. 
And so the Chiefs really need to start. You know, they have another. They have another couple young guys. Creed Humphrey at center, who arguably I think could have been rookie of the year last year, but they don't give awards offensive linemen. They just don't. You have Trey Smith, who was an absolute steal in the sixth round because he had injury or health concerns. You know, you signed um, Joe Thune away from the Patriots last offseason. Those are three big key parts of your line. And then you have the tackle, Orlando Brown, who, like I said, you traded away salary. You want to trade away salary so that way you can spend the money in guys like Orlando Brown like Chris Jones on the defensive line. And to have him deny that either tells that you were not offering enough money and you were being greedy or, you know, he really values himself higher and will bet on himself this season to have another good season. Now it's a, it's a gamble by both sides. However, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. So it's something to monitor offensive linemen. Like I said, aren't a notable, like, thing that you really look for often like when it comes to transactions but this is a big deal to keep your eye out on jesse bates on the Bengals. speaking of franchise tag will not play under the franchise tag i think he's been pretty hell bent on holding out to get new contract hard to blame him because i don't think i think this is his first big contract coming up because the Bengals. i don't know if they drafted i think they did draft him and they've developed him into being one of the best safeties in the league. He had an unbelievable playoff run, was a very key component in that Chiefs victory in the playoffs where he got the interception in overtime to help the Bengals go get that game-winning field goal. Jesse Bates is a integral part of that defense. I was saying it before they were even such a good unit that Jesse Bates really was a glue that held it all together. Or he was the only standout guy the whole time. He was a big part of it, and I think that Jesse Bates deserves to be paid like a top-five safety. And now he just saw Minka Fitzpatrick on the Steelers, division rival, get paid a lot of money, a lot of cheddar. So wouldn't shock me if Jesse Bates is holding out for some Minka Fitzpatrick cheddar because I think he was better than him last year. I mean, I just Jesse Bates is one of those. He was on a defense where like A.J. Terrell was last year, he was on the same Bengals defense doing that like two years ago, and now that they're a complete good unit, it he kind of gets, I won't say overlooked, but it's not so obvious seeing the best player on the field all the time when you have other really good players like Trey Hendrickson, you know, uh, Logan Wilson, I think he had some good corner play, but Jesse Bates really is the key component to that Bengals defense. I think he makes everything run. And him holding out is very tough. Very tough for both sides. I would want to get that done as quickly as possible. But you know the Bengals. The Bengals are a cheap franchise. They notoriously have been. They kind of it's weird because they're an NFL team that runs it like an MLB team now. You see like 10 MLB teams that are like penny pinchers that are like, we gotta stay under the payroll. Notably the Rays, Pittsburgh, Cubs, Cincinnati. On it in L Central, you know those teams really just don't want to spend money. And they just will not. In a, in a sport where you can spend all the money, and I would say the Bengals are in that similar position. Before they, you know, I think are on this run now. They kind of have to because I mean, 
I mean, you you have to capitalize on this window of rookie contracts with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, like all those guys. But the Bengals notoriously have been really like, you know, they're in a podunk little stadium. I think it's a nice stadium. It looks nice. Um, the practice facility is not the best, you know. It's just things could be a lot better for a team that just went to the Super Bowl, and I'm sure it is for them. Like, I'm sure they are a lot more willing and able to spend now, now that they're winning, because I think winning is the, you know, best thing that can, you know, happen for any team where if you want to make money, if you win games, you bring fans, revenue, like revenue for um, anyone buying gear, tickets like you get all this money from winning and so i think now that they are they are willing to spend a little bit more but you always have that concern where in the past if they've done this then in the future they will continue to do it and i think that might be the case here which is concerning for bengals fans because if jesse bait would leave my team i'd be sick like i jesse Bates, i think is an invaluable member of that defense And so, um, last thing I want to talk about with the NFL, Justin Jefferson came out over the weekend and stated that he doesn't believe that he's the best receiver in the NFL yet, but by the end of 2022, he will be that guy. He cited Devontae Adams still as the best in the league, but that he's not far behind. And I love that. I love that so much. I think Justin Jefferson... Justin Jefferson would be my favorite receiver in the league right now. I have his jersey right now in my closet. I Justin Jefferson, I think, is an absolute stud at receiver. I think that he will go on to have a fantastic season. I wouldn't be surprised if he had 1,800 and like double-digit touchdowns. Justin Jefferson is a special talent. And it's insane. I think might be one of the most even trade, like trades that I've ever seen in the NFL. Because thing about it, the Vikings traded Stefan Diggs to the Bills for that Bills first round pick, which then turned into Justin Jefferson. So basically what they did was trade Justin Jefferson for Stefan Diggs. Now that trade, looking back at it now, is absolutely insane. There's not a winner and loser. The Bills, Stefan Diggs has been huge for Josh Allen and the Bills, and he's been a big part of them winning. And Justin Jefferson's been just as good if not better on the Vikings in his first two years now they haven't won the same amount as the Bills have but that's not on Justin Jefferson I think Justin Jefferson's produced well within you know reasonable expectations and I think it's just a very very even trade when it's like you don't often see that like when you do a big like player for like three picks or a player for a pick swap in the NFL normally the team getting the really good player wins and the team getting the pick kind of just you know fizzles out into a, a late round bust player or rotational piece that definitely was not as good as you know player B or whatever but I don't know that trade to me sticks out it's a big trade but back to Justin Jefferson I'm I'm projecting big things for him He's going to be in an offense similar to what Devontae Adams was doing. And I think he'll play in the slot a lot more, so that means he'll get a lot more looks, hopefully, on not the best cornerbacks in the league. 
And that play action game with Kirk Cousins should be rolling well, like how it normally is. And whether you're, you you know, hate Kirk Cousins or not, I think we can all agree that he will throw the ball well. You will get your like fair amount of targets. And that's why I have just confidence in Justin Jefferson's because he's not playing with like, you know, Davis Mills or Zach Wilson or Jameis Winston. Like, he's not playing with these guys that are kind of like journeymen or journeymen slash young rookies guys. Like Kirk Cousins is an established veteran who's been in this league, had a really solid season last year. Wasn't perfect, but like he was a pro bowl player last year. I'm sure he's on, can do that again. Cause he is that good. He had games where he would just absolutely take over. He is that talented of a receiver. Justin Jefferson has confidence in himself, and I have confidence in Justin Jefferson. And so I got a real quick NBA note. That wraps up the NFL. So on to the NBA real quick. The Summer League finished up today. Not a lot of people were talking about it. Kind of fizzled out once rookies started not playing, so... Like I said, it, it dies out pretty quickly there. But the Portland Trailblazers did end up winning. And, I mean, they didn't have their first-round pick even playing. So, you know, it doesn't mean a lot. But Portland, congrats. Congrats. You won the Summer League. I, I, think, they got, I think they got championship Summer League rings or something. <laughs> and I don't know if that's like... This is going to sound like I, the oldest person thing I can ever say, but I don't know if it's like participation trophy things or what. I don't know why we're giving Summer League trophy rings out. Like maybe you give them a little dingy trophy that you can buy at the dollar store. But I mean, if they're getting championship rings, quote unquote, from the Summer League, I, if I'm a player, I'm pawning that off. I'm I'm selling that. <laughs> I'm selling that boy so quick. Especially if I'm one of these rookies that like is not making the team, or I'm gonna be making like fifty thousand, forty thousand to play on the G League or something. I'm selling that ring for whatever I can get. You know, that's just that is just despicable. I don't, I, and I don't even want to hear anything about participation trophies. Like the kids need it. Listen, who do you think made the trophies? The kids are not making the trophies to give to the kids, like, each other. Yeah, I'm looking at you, parents. I'm looking at all of you. It wasn't my generation that made participation trophies. You guys are giving it to our generation, and they were probably going to give it to our generation. But, hey, that's not my choice. I'm just saying. I'm I'm calling everyone out here now. I want, I want people to know. I don't want people to blame us for the participation trophies. This is on you. Look in the mirror, parents. Come on now. <laughs> so, Keldon Johnson. The Spurs forward Keldon Johnson, a promising young forward. Kind of plays the four position. Kind of a little bit undersized at that spot, but he's like really been, he was like really good at the back half of last year. Rising star, I think. A very underrated guy because you don't hear about people on the Spurs really. Because they were kind of like in the playing spot, but no one really knew because, I mean, they're the Spurs and they weren't like at the top of the league how they normally were. However, Keldon Johnson, a big piece of what their future should be, gets a worthy extension, four years, 80 million. You know, I think that's a really good 
steal for the Spurs, especially if they get a, if they get the top pick next year, and they can get him in, and he kind of can produce in the next two years. Think about it, let's get Kellen Johnson in his third year; he should be better by then, also. And he's only making twenty million in a league where guys are just waiting out and maxing out their potential with that ginormous three-figure contract. But I really do like that for the Spurs. I think that is a great deal for them. And they find themselves in a good spot for the future as they look to tank and rebuild. And so, I think that leads me into a lot of MLB news. And so the MLB scores, fun fact, MLB scores are all done. We get to go over the entire MLB like scores. You know, normally I'm doing them and it's like, oh man, they're in the fifth. I don't know how this game's going to end. However, we're going to be able to see how every game ended. And I look forward to that. But before I get on to that, we do have... Dun, 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 dun. The MLB draft. The Orioles, the Baltimore Orioles, who had just come off of, I mean, we were talking about, they had a double-digit win streak, an unbelievable thing, and they had the number one pick. They drafted Jackson Holiday, shortstop out of Stillwater High School. Now, a decent amount of high school kids getting picked here in the top ten. We are at number six right now who just picked Jacob Berry from LSU. But start off with the Orioles. Jackson Holiday, shortstop from Stillwater. You know, you never know. I think you never know about these guys. But from what I'm reading, he's a you know five stool or five tool shortstop can do just about anything. And he's you know has very high expectations. He was in the running there for the top three, and he finds himself getting picked. And in fun fact. He is Matt Holiday's son. He's an 18-year-old Matt Holiday son. Yes, that Matt Holiday, the one that did play in the majors. Speaking of a kid that of a former big leaguer, Drew Jones from Wesleyan High School in Georgia gets drafted to the Diamondbacks. Now he's an outfielder. And Drew Jones sounds familiar to an Andrew Jones, and that's because that is his son. Many thought that he might have gone number one in the draft. Because of, I mean, he had a lot of really good traits that people saw from his dad in him. But instead, he goes number two to the Diamondbacks. He is our high schooler as well. A very good pick, I think, by the Diamondbacks. I would have, I mean, Drew Jones, I think, will be a star. He just looks like an electric player just all the time. I look forward to that. And this is where the draft really got shaken up a little bit. Now, people were curious where Kumar Rocker was going to go. Now, if you remember Kumar Rocker, Kumar Rocker played for Vanderbilt. And he was a part of a big Vanderbilt school, like, you know, title run. Him and, um, oh, I forgot his name, Jared Leiter, or Leiter, I believe. Those two were an unstoppable duo. Rocker got drafted last season to the New York Mets, like number 10th overall. But he never signed the contract with the Mets because there was a disagreement. 
He had had surgery, I believe. The Mets were trying to lowball him in some sort of sense. But he held firm, and they failed to sign him. The New York Mets, of course. Mets are going to Mets. And so he goes, and he plays for the Tri-City Valley Cats in the Frontier League. Don't ask me where that is at, where it's from. Like, what? what is it about? <laughs> Couldn't tell you. But... Kuma Rocker comes back for this year's draft, obviously, and he goes to number three overall. So not number 10 where he was before, but he moves up to number three overall and gets taken by the Texas Rangers. Now, the Texas Rangers actually did draft Jack Leiter or Leader. I, I won't be able to pronounce that name, but he they did draft his former Vanderbilt teammate. And so the duo gets reunited for the Texas Rangers. I'm sure that's going to be a lot of fun for him. And, like, that's just a really cool little, you know, nugget where he gets to play with his teammate once again. Good for him. Good for him to go to the Rangers and not the Mets. That's what I got to say. And Tamar Johnson from Mays High School, an infielder at Georgia. People thought he would go number one. I, I read a lot of mock drafts, kind of trying to get some of these names down. And Tamar Johnson was one I saw at number one a couple times. So I, I thought maybe there's a chance he would go, but he goes number four to the Pirates. And so um, he is listed as a shortstop now, but people are projecting he'll be a second baseman due to O'Neill Cruz being also on the Pirates at shortstop. So a very interesting move there. The Nationals at the fifth pick take Elijah Green, an outfielder out of IMG Academy. And he is the son of a former NFL Pro Bowler, tied in Eric Green. So a lot, of, a lot of kids from these players, I guess, they're just finding their ways over to the MLB draft and getting selected early on with Barry being the only college guy that I've seen so far. And like I said, he went to the Marlins as an outfielder, and the Chicago Cubs are picking as I speak, so I'll hold on and wait for this pick to come in. Cade Horton, right-hand pitcher out of Oklahoma. I don't know what he projects to be, but that's the name for your Chicago Cubs. A good pitcher from Oklahoma. I find nothing wrong with that. You love to see it. And so there are a couple of things for the All-Star game that need to be brought up. Um, a couple pitchers are not going to be pitching in the All-Star game that originally were supposed to. Um, for example, Max Freed is not going to be in the All-Star game. Um, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, just due to them pitching recently. Trout, Mike Trout will skip the All-Star game due to the back injury. So a lot of guys got put in. Um, Ty France was a notable sub. He's on the Seattle Mariners. He gets put into the All-Star game, so good for him. A young guy on those red-hot Seattle Mariners. They've won 13 in a row. They have taken the wild card, you know, wild card game by storm. They have found themselves 
in the thick of it. And so good for them. Uh, Chris Sale. Now, Chris Sale was originally, um, you know, just coming back off of a, you know, injury. And it looked, you know, really promising that he was going to finally come back and make an impact for Red Sox team. It's, like I said, he, they're in the thick of it as well in the wild card spots. However, against the Yankees today, he gets hit by a, comeback, or a comebacker. Pretty ugly, and he like was showing his hand. You could see it. He was showing his hand like as he was walking to the dugout, and his pinky was bent in a way that I don't think a pinky's supposed to bend. Now, I'm, I'm my nickname is LK, but I'm glad to see my like none of my fingers have ever made an L shape, similar to kind of how Chris Sale's hand was. So that was very tough to see. Like I, I'd be sick if I was him. Another setback for him, but. He has done it before, so he will do it again. Real quick, before I get to this like major story that is developing in Washington for the Nationals, I want to do a quick standings update. Now, we did it last Monday. This might be a reoccurring bit on Mondays, if I remember. But we'll go through this, the standings, kind of see where we're at heading into All-Star break. Because like I said, everyone's pretty much done. Everyone is done. Well, I, I'm not at pretty much, but everyone is done. And in the American League, we have the Yankees on top, who've been rolling all year. They've done really well for themselves recently. The Astros are in second, steady as can be. The Tampa Bay Rays find themselves in the first wild card spot. The Mariners, like I said, with a. Th- 14-game win streak, excuse me, I said 13, 14-game win streak. They find themselves in the second wildcard position, and the Blue Jays find themselves in the third wildcard position. Now, if you remember, they just fired their coach, so a very big development there. And seeing them in the final wildcard spot, still holding on, trying to stay ahead of the Boston Red Sox. And the one of the, probably the, the worst division in the American League the AL Central, the Minnesota Twins are leading that. However, they are one, two, three, four. They are the sixth best team in the AL, despite you know leading their division. Twins, Twins fans, might wanna might wanna prepare for some more heartbreak in October because this team isn't winning anything. I could not see them beating whatever team they meet in the first round. So, like I said, it's a very close race in the in, like in the wild card. Although the teams in quality do not really stack up as well as the NL. Now, moving over to the NL, we have the Dodgers in at number one, of course, because why wouldn't they be? It's another day, another Dodgers being in first place because they just always seem to be. Who would have thought? The team that spends a billion dollars every year is up first. And then the Mets. Let's go Mets, baby. Yes, Mets. They find themselves in, in second place. I God, I'll tell you what. The Cubs, now the Cubs didn't end up winning today. Shout out the Cubs. But the Cubs could have won two more games yesterday. And they just fumbled it away because, God, they are just a very struggling team. And I just... Godspeed to Chicago fans. You got your ring in 2016. I don't know when you're going to get the next one, but you saw one. 
I pray you see another one, but oof, might be in another hundred years. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers find themselves sitting here only a half game up on the Cardinals in the NL Central. Another division that isn't good, but to those two teams have kind of been battling it out. Milwaukee had a pretty interesting series against the Giants, but they find themselves still holding on to the first spot there. Now, the wild card race, the Braves are pretty comfortably sitting in that first wild card spot. The Mets and Braves are going to be the first wild card spot. I don't know what team, I don't know which order yet. We'll see how the second half shakes out. I'm not going to make any Braves guarantees. Like um, the bold friends at Sports Talk ATL, I will not make those bold accl- or proclamations that they seem to do. They really go after Mets fans, and whew, Godspeed to their mentions because it always looks like a war zone. It, it's always a war zone of people trying to leak their addresses and really just attacking each other. And I respect them for that, but I will not dive into that one. The Padres find themselves in the second wildcard position. Good for them. The Padres have been steady holding on without Fernando Tatis, so good good on them. And then this is where it gets interesting. The Phillies and Cardinals have the same percentage, but basically the Phillies haven't played two games. They've played two games less than the Cardinals, so that could go either way. But the Phillies... Cardinals, Giants, and Brewers are all kind of lumped in together, I'd say, either for that AL Central or NL Central slash last wildcard spot. So will be a fun race to see how that goes down. If I had to be a betting man, I would say the I don't know. I have I have a feeling the Phillies might sneak in. I really do. I doesn't feel like it, but I just don't think the Cardinals are good. Like, I think the Cardinals were rolling out a team of, like, three really good, four really good players, and then the rest are kind of, like, people you know, but... I mean, the Phillies haven't died yet, and normally they do always die, so that could be another thing to watch out for. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm inclined to pick the Brewers. Hmm. I mean, I don't think the Giants really... Oh man, I, I'm t- I'm like really trying to think this out because I think the Brewers have the pitching, but they don't have the lineup. The Phillies are like perfectly kind of mid with a couple good players, and if Bryce Harper comes back, that can be huge. And the Cardinals, like I said, I think are like a lot worse than what their record says, but they have that record for a reason. Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado are fantastic, and a couple other guys play really well. And then the Giants, you know, the Giants, talking about a one-team fall, they were destroying, the fact that they won 106 games last year, it really shows, like, how locked in they were. However, the Giants just this year do not have that same energy because, I mean, I mean, like I said, they're kind of holding on for dear life here, but they could be a major seller. But, you know, they are still there. They're not, I mean, they're half game back of the Phillies and Cardinals. And, I mean, think about one series, they can flip that, like, really quickly. So, very interesting to see how this will all shake out. Like I said, it's not as close as the AL, 
you kind of have a stiff drop off because you, know, you have the Giants who've won forty eight, and then you go down to the Marlins, Rockies, who both have forty three. So it's a stiff, you know, fall off there. Where basically up until the Rangers, you have you know the White Sox, Orioles, Guardians with forty six, Red Sox forty eight. 50 50 from Toronto and Twins, 51 from the Rays and Mariners, then there's the Astros and Yankees. And if I had to be a betting man, I hate to say it, I think the Astros will do their job again. I think they'll I think they're a team that always comes ready in October. And I could see the Astros upsetting the Yankees. That that might be my hot take for the, right now, but I just I don't know where when can I ever trust the Yankees? I, I don't know. Like, I just everything changes in October, but like I said, we still have a whole other half of the season to get through. So, like I said, it might be a reoccurring bit. I think next Monday there won't be. I don't know if there will even be any games. Like it should be the All Star break for this week. So I don't know. We'll see. Might have a buddy on talk some MLB, but for now. The big story I wanted to get to in the MLB, like, atmosphere, like, outside of, like, wins, games, scores, All-Star Week. Juan Soto has declined a massive extension. would have easily been the biggest extension, I think, in baseball history. 15 years, $440 million. That's nine digits in a bank account, which I don't think any of us can um, relate to that. And so Juan Soto was offered that and decided to not take that deal. And I can tell you all the reasons why I think it was stupid, but I can give you the reasons why it was smart. Reasons I think it was stupid is because he, I mean, he's making a lot of money in arbitration. He is. Like, granted, for for you know as much crap as it's like, well, he's getting getting paid nothing. He people say that he's getting paid nothing relative to his production. He is a massively productive player. He is perhaps the best hitter in the league when everything is clicking. Like if everyone was at their absolute like best form or most consistent form of what they have done in their career, Juan Soto would probably be the best hitter in the league. Now, he hasn't been that awesome this year, but he's, like I say, he's Juan Soto, so he still has a massive impact on the game, has still been really strong in his, you know, on his losing, awful Washington Nationals team. But still, he's Juan Soto, so... We say he's getting paid nothing. He's getting paid nothing relative to his value. Which, $440 million is a lot of money. It would bump up his number significantly. But the reasons why he declined it make sense as well. Any of us would rush to sign that, but he doesn't because, first of all, it does lock him in for 15 years on the Nationals. Now I'm sure there's like stuff in there where it's probably like you can't get traded in your first like five years or something. Something like I find it hard to believe that 
they'd offer 15 years and not have like some sort of like, we will keep you through your prime deal in there. But even then it's 15 years, which is a really long time, which is like less opportunities to get, you know, cash in on your you know, production, especially when the league, everything's going up in every sport. The contracts are going up everywhere. And so if he signs a 15-year contract in year, like, 12, his contract might be out of date, and it might look like, an, as odd as it sounds, it might look like an underpay. So let's say he signs for four years. Then in the next four years, he does the same production, if not better, and the market goes up. He can cash in for so much money, and then he can sign a big, massive, like ten-year deal, which he's going to sign for probably eight. I'd say I'd say he's probably going to sign for double-digit double-digit years, no matter where he goes. But fifteen is excessive. That's a lot of years. And the reporting was that the year it was also a backloaded contract, which means he probably I mean, just for argument's sake, he would be making like ten million in year one and like maybe forty in year t- ten. So like all the money's on the back end of this contract, not in the front, not where you can make it now. And that does suck. Like that doesn't like objectively that just sucks. And it's because the nationals are paying other players a ton of money like Steven Strasburg who's probably pitched in three games since winning the World Series MVP Patrick Corbin is making a ton of money to be having like a 7 ERA multiple reasons for why that contract is backloaded but that doesn't make it right and they're paying I think Max Scherzer to not play for them like there's just there's reasons for why he did decline it and also, he could just go to the open market in 2025, I believe. Or like I said, he gets tr- he can get traded for... If he gets traded, it'll be the best haul of draft picks the sport has ever seen. I'm f- confident on that. Like, through and through, it will be the greatest like trade for whatever team gets Juan Soto. Guaranteed. And so those are just two reasons for why it could go that way. And it wouldn't shock me. You know, Juan Soto is traded. I I think he would get traded in the offseason of next. Like, not before the trade deadline. That would be kind of ridiculous. But maybe next offseason, you see a team swoop in and try and get him. Specifically, the New York teams that can pay the exuberant amount needed for Juan Soto like the the price tag not the not the prospects because like I said I don't know prospects I couldn't tell you prospects but you can always just grab a handful of prospects and throw them at the Nationals but they can pay the contract of Juan Soto who will clearly want just oogles of money oogles of money he'll want so that wouldn't shock me if that happened and I do expect that to happen. I'm very interested in how this will go down. But at first glance, it's like, God, that is... It's almost half a billion dollars to swing a bat. But he's really good at swinging the bat, so I can't 
if you're if teams are willing to offer it, then I can't blame the player for because the Nash trust me, the Nationals are not the only team that will offer that money. A lot of teams will be ready, like ready and willing to offer that money. So I can't blame him for denying it. It's not like he's gambling on himself this year to try and make more money. He's gonna make that money. It's just where. So Juan Soto, one of the bright stars in this league and one of the home run derby contestants, will make a big headline for one of the coach's corners in the future. So we will see. We shall see. Now to wrap up today's show, I want to do a nice, fun home run derby prediction. And I got the bracket in front of me because the matchups are all decided. And I've listed all the starters through two different episodes, eight eight guys total. And I have them here listed out in front of me. And there were a couple, couple, ah, couple tough decisions that I couldn't get through. But there was one that was really easy. The one seed versus the eight seed. This is the legacy one. Kyle Schwarber versus Albert Pujols. Now, Albert is just there. Because it's the final dance. God bless his soul. It will it will probably look pretty sad. Over under four and a half. <laughs> I would maybe hit take that under. I he, he's done. He's he's it's it's retirement time. But it'll be cool to see him, especially if he ends up winning. Number one seed Kyle Schwarber, I have moving on. Fairly easy. Kyle Schwarber's a professional hitter. You hear that term. They're all professionals. But there's only a handful that are professional hitters. He will hit the ball. Very much so. Juan Soto versus Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez is the most underrated player in the league because he plays for the Guardians. I'm very comfortable saying he's the best third baseman in the league. Jose Ramirez is a phenomenal player. Phenomenal. However, for all the reasons I've just you know listed about Juan Soto being one of the best hitters in the league, I'm going to take Juan Soto. But I do think this would be closer than people think because Juan Soto seems like a guy he'd want to put on a show. Maybe he'd take his time a little bit and kind of lose track of time. And Jose just like, we'll just go hit. So don't be surprised at the upset here with the five being the four, but I have the four seed Juan Soto heading on. Next, I have Corey Seager, who plays for the Rangers against Julio Rodriguez on the Mariners. Now, Rodriguez is the electric rookie that I hope wins AL Rookie of the Year. He finds himself here. Should be a fun guy to, you know, for I think the national stage to kind of see and meet. I really like him. Um, Corey Seager is a guy who played for the Dodgers, is on the Rangers now. I kind of said professional hitter. He does that against the Braves for sure. But I think him on the Rangers has been pretty good. He will hit the ball very hard. I'd say he's a dark horse to win it, even though he's a three seed. I think he's a dark horse to win it. Corey Seager, I have moving on. And Pete Alonzo versus Ronald Acuna Jr. Now, listen, I love Ronnie with all my heart. 
but he has not been hitting the ball well recently. He's not looked like the Ronald Acuna that we all know and love. And Pete Alonso did win last year. He is the reigning champ, and he has a really good coach, really good you know batting coach. I'll just toss him the best softballs ever. And Ronald Acuna, I don't think he has his timing down yet for hitting home runs, sadly. So I think Pete Alonso gets the win here. Now, all chalk. I have an all chalk final four. And I'll just let you know I have an all chalk here too. I have Kyle Schwarber beating out Juan Soto. This was the hardest pick I had to do the entire bracket. But like I said, Kyle Schwarber's a professional hitter. He just hit stingers. Juan Soto, I think, will make it really close though. I think Juan Soto is a really good pick. Corey Seager and Pete Alonzo. Like I said, Pete Alonzo is a reigning champ. I think reigning champ has a good chance of moving on here. But I'll change my pick right here on the spot. Give me Corey Seager. I think Corey Seager will come out. And All-Star Game is in L.A. I think he'll be like, L.A., you should have kept me. This is why you should have kept the legend Corey Seager. And he's going to hit a lot of home runs in front of his former home crowd. And I think he's going to upset Pete Alonso here. I think he's going to get on a roll, go get real hot, and watch he won't even beat Julio Rodriguez. But I'm picking Corey Seager to upset Pete Alonso. And so the final, Kyle Schwarber, Corey Seager. Folks, what did I say last time? What did I just say about Kyle Schwarber? I don't, I can't remember. My, oh, my head's what? Oh, yeah. He's a professional hitter. Gimme Kyle Schwarber to win the home run derby. I just think he has a really good chance at, you know, in a, a setting like that. He seems like a fun guy in batting practice where he just will mash all of them 450. <laughs> just every single ball will just go out of the stadium. And so that's the all that's the home run derby for you. A very fun little bracket instead of a tier. We'll come back on Wednesday with one, but I think this was a fun one to do. And yeah, I think it's a good way to wrap it up. With that, we'll get out of here with scores. Like I said, last All-Star game, you know, games before, you know, the big events happen. So first off, the Blue Jays over the Royals, 4-2. to two. Blue Jays keep rolling. You know, they've been playing okay recently on a little bit of a streak. Um, the Nationals end up beating the Braves finally in the last game of this series. Juan Soto getting ready for the home run derby, manages to hit one. The Yankees dominate the Red Sox. I, like I said, after Chris Sale went out, it kind of went off the rails there. Garrett Cole does a good job. The Yankees win 13-2 over the Red Sox. The Rays managed to beat the Orioles as Randy Arozarena hits a home run. So the Rays keep on chugging in the playoff race. The Phillies beat the Marlins 4-0 with Aaron Nola on the mound. The White Sox blank the Twins 11-0. Absolute blowout. (laughs) The Athletics (laughs) managed to sneak over the Astros. (laughs) <laughs> of course they do, because baseball. The Cubs outlast the Mets, finally. Thank goodness. Like I said, the Mariners keep their things rolling. Ty France, like I said, just named to the All-Star team. Crushes a home run. 
Mariners win 6-2 over the Rangers. Pirates going to win in a battle of low teams over the Rockies 8-3. The Giants beat the Brewers. Now, (laughs) I I forgot who won on the... Someone won on a balk yesterday out of these two teams. I forgot who it was. Might have been the Giants, but very funny. But, yeah, the Giants get the win here behind Logan Webb, who pitched a good game, or at least a game enough to where they could win. And lastly but not least, the Diamondbacks find themselves getting the win over the Padres, another team that isn't awesome but gets an upset over a playoff team. And two games postponed, Tigers, Guardians, Reds, Cardinals. So those games will likely be made up at some point. Obviously, they'll play again. But for now, that is your schedule for Sunday, July 17th scores. That's how teams will head into the All-Star break. And that is how I will head into the end of the show. So until next time. We will see you on Tuesday. And make sure to share, subscribe, listen. Listen, just, you know, shout out to any shout out to any of your friends. I mean, call up a random number. Go go to the phone book and do they have phone? I don't think they have phone books anymore. Go to your phone, look at the keypad, type in let's see, I have to do the math. Ten random digits. Call that random number. And be like, coach's corner, and then just hang up. Don't don't like say anything more. Just do that. All success. There will be no failure if you do that. Guaranteed, absolutely guaranteed. So yes, until next time, I I, I am Lucas Kojovar. I appreciate all the support. Goodbye.